Right, let's, uh, let's carry on in this series, Encounters with Jesus. We've got one more to go. And Rachel Wilson will be speaking after uh, Church on the Road. And I've, so I'm doing the penultimate one in the series. And it's a really uh, amazing series, Encounters with Jesus, because the very word encounter is a very exciting word indeed. And I was, I was thinking about how I'm going to start. We're going to be looking at the story of an amazing encounter where uh, a woman who's an outcast, she's immoral, she's uh, not Jewish, she's Samaritan and therefore an outcast from the Jews and she has an astonishing encounter with Jesus at a well. So in a moment we'll look at John chapter 4 but before we do that let me just uh, think with you about what it means to encounter Jesus because you've come here today and you may have wondered what you're going to find when you come here. What's going to happen to me? What experience will I have? One of the things I hope that you felt was that you would encounter Jesus yourself because he's, and I don't know if this word exists, he's encounterable. You can meet him. You have a spirit and he'll meet you spirit to spirit and sometimes he'll touch your body and heal you and sometimes he'll clear your mind and make you feel in your right mind again. You're going to have an encounter with him Let's just get a really big picture before we think about one individual woman from 2,000 years ago. What are we talking about Sunday by Sunday when we come together as King's Church? We're talking about the infinite God who created the cosmos, including you and me, and God's taken on a human body and he stepped into space and time that we're trapped in He stepped into our world. And what that means now then, that the world from Jesus onwards is completely open to divine presence. So in other words, this auditorium has no roof in the sense that everything is open to view. God stepped into history. This world is not closed off to God. This is not what some evolutionary scientists would tell you is just a closed mechanistic world. This is open to God. Heaven is open all around us and therefore we are to expect a higher level of reality every time we meet together as the church. We're not in some ordinary clockwork wound up boring existence. This is dynamic. Anything can happen on planet earth because Jesus has arrived. And so we should expect to encounter Jesus ourselves personally. We're going to talk about a lady who, who was so helped by Jesus' beautiful insights into her into her life. Let me just say this before we look at her. Also about planet Earth. What's planet Earth all about? Why are we talking about encounters with God, with Jesus? How can it happen here on planet Earth? Well, there is a love story behind planet Earth. It's a a love story. What's the love story? Very quickly, in just a couple of lines. God creates an entire universe and he places in it a planet... Earth, which is a beautiful planet. He creates this unutterably glorious place we call home. He places it there. Why? Because one day he's going to give it as a gift to his son. That's the story of you and me. Because he's then saying, when I've created this beautiful earth, I'm going to populate it with sons and daughters. And they're all to know me. They are 
to understand that as I populate them on planet Earth, they're to live in my presence forever in, in bliss and joy, unending eternal life. Well, we know that the story hiccuped when man fell, but that original purpose stands true. And so therefore, when I talk about encounters now, it's too small a word, because one day there's going to be an astonishing making new of this beautiful planet that is going to be given as a gift back to the Son by the Father. And you and I are that gift on this planet, and we're going to live one day under a new heavens on a new earth with new bodies. So therefore, when I talk about one woman today having an encounter, man, it is so much bigger than that. And you're swept up in this. That's your destiny. And so so now I just want to say to you, watch out. This is a dangerous place to be on a Sunday. Very dangerous. Wonderfully dangerous. Because anything can happen to you at any time. Because Jesus has arrived on planet Earth. Nothing is the same again. So we've got a daytime meeting here. Shall we read John chapter 4? So if we can have that up on screen. Thanks, Sarah. So here we have this amazing encounter. So I'll read quite fast. It's a very familiar story to those of you who know John's gospel. And so we have uh, a journey that Jesus is going on back to Galilee and he's got to get through Samaria. So we'll see a map in a minute. Judea is in the south, Samaria's in the middle, Galilee's in the north. And so Jesus is travelling back to Galilee. But meanwhile, he goes through Samaria. Now, when Jesus learned, chapter 4, verse 1, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptising more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptise but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, it was about noontime, blazing Middle East sun. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now be careful here, guys and girls, because that sounds ruder than it was. It, it's a bit like when Jesus spoke to his mother a couple of chapters earlier, woman, my time has not come. I'd like to translate that. It's a, bit, it's, it's a little bit more courteous. Dear lady, would you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So that's an interesting little aside that clearly already Jesus is teaching his disciples. You can mix with the Samaritans, your Jews. You, you can go into the town and buy food. Already they're becoming multi-international, multicultural, even now before the new covenant. Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jewish man, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you've nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, 
Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Ever a practical woman. Right. (laughs) Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming when is now here. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For, For the Father is seeking such people who, to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. So the Samaritans had uh, an understanding that there was a Messiah called Taheb. The Samaritans had diverged, just believed the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So their understanding of the future of Israel was different from the Jews. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And so she gets this shock when Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. That's not the Taheb, that's the true Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar, her water jar, and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I've got food to eat that you know not about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true that one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Extraordinary encounter. This is an encounter not like when Nicodemus came by night to Jesus. This is not like when Judas left at night to betray Jesus. This is in the brilliance of the noonday sun in the Middle East. And there's a reason for that, why that woman comes to the world, which we'll look at in a moment. But just to remind you, let's look at the map, shall we, of um, the Holy Land, that actually when Jesus was travelling from the south to the north. There's no way round Samaria. You can cross the Jordan at Jericho. It's a longer journey and you can travel on the right-hand side of the bank there up and then cut back in 
to Galilee. But Jesus, wonderful Jesus, is always on a mission. He's always working. And for reasons that we've obviously found out, he goes straight through Samaria and reminding us in advance that the gospel is going to be for every nation of the world. It's a three-day walk and he's going through Samaria and, and appallingly, these Samaritans were called half-breeds because they'd intermarried when the Assyrians had come and invaded the Holy Land and populated it. So the Samaritans were, and I just use this word advisedly, a bit like dogs. This is the an, an inappropriate terminology given to them. So we got, we got some serious standoff here between Judea and Samaria. But for Jesus, nothing is unclean. All right, Unclean comes from the heart. It's not, it's not the outside. It's not... He's not defiled by walking through Samaria. He's completely different. He's teaching us it's your heart that needs to change. And so he arrives at the well, very thirsty. And I've seen these wells in the Middle East. There's a great big capstone. And this particular well is still there in the Holy Land. It's about, it's about two feet thick. It's uh, about five feet across and there's a small hole in the middle where you can lower a jar or a bucket. And very often people carried leather, ju- leather buckets that would fold. And we wonder whether the disciples had took the bucket, the leather bucket, into the town to buy food and get water. And this, this is a well perhaps Jesus is actually sitting on and he's thirsty and wondering who's going to come first to the well. And timing in God is everything. He knew what he was doing. And this woman knew what she was doing. She was not going to come with her other friends. Perhaps she didn't have any friends because, as we find out, she was living an immoral life. Perhaps she felt the shame of that. She's coming at noontime to avoid talking to people. She didn't go with a group of women for decency's sake. She is a bad woman, whatever we decide to call her a social outcast. And you would be very interested to think, well, hang on a minute, Jesus, you know, you're going to defy yourself here. If I was one of Jesus' disciples, I'd be thinking, what's he doing here? You know, he's on his own. When we arrive back with food, he's talking to this woman. But he has placed himself strategically where this woman has her deepest need. And he is placing himself strategically in the middle of your life. Now, she thinks she's coming safely to the well. She'll fill her jar and go back into town. (laughs) And as she approaches the well, Jesus doesn't budge. And she must have thought to herself, man, why doesn't he step back 20 paces like a good rabbi would do or any man would do? You step back out of decency's sake and let the woman go first. And what does she do? She thinks, well, what am I going to do now? He hasn't moved back. He's sitting there, right in front of me, at the well. What do I do? And I think this is, a very, this is actually a very intelligent, smart woman by the questions and the comments that she has in this amazingly long-drawn-out conversation that John gives us in his Gospel. It's a very long conversation, John chapter 4. And she decides, she makes that decision to approach anyway. What a girl. Come on. And still Jesus doesn't move. And then this amazing moment, this encounter, where he actually has the boldness to ask her for a drink. And I could be sidetracked in my preach now and talk about Jesus the man, thirsty, weary, tired, just like you and me. 
Are you thirsty today for more of God? For a change in your circumstances? Are you tired? And what he does in his tiredness, he's got this amazing ability to be, the power of the Holy Spirit's on him. He's going to have an amazing word of knowledge that is an insight into her private life. He pushes past his weariness. He says, would you give me a drink? And by asking that question, I think he does some beautiful things there. Let's just think what he does. He, first of all, breaks the social taboo by talking to a woman in this remote place where no one's a witness to what he's doing. That was dangerous. You don't even make eye contact with a woman in a public place if you're a man. And Jesus not only talked to women, he invited women into his group of disciples, they financed his mission, some of them, and they travelled with him. This is a different kind of rabbi. So do not underestimate who Jesus is here. He's just, he's just so irresistibly wonderful. He's, he is the true man for all seasons. He shows complete disregard for 500 years of hostility between Jews and Samaritans, blows it away in one question, could you give me a drink? And so all those bitter incidents from the past are swept away. There's something more about that for us that we mustn't go into. I'm so sidetracked into building an intercultural church here. But isn't that wonderful? And he humbles himself so much that he needs her help. It should be the other way around. Later, he's going to explain to her that she desperately needs him for his words of grace and forgiveness. But here, his opening remarks sound like this. I'm weak with travelling. And I'm thirsty. I really need help. Can you help me? The God of the universe has humbled him so much. He is so utterly approachable to you personally today when you pray that here he's saying, would you help me? I'm thirsty. The guys have taken the jar into town. I have no leather bucket. I can't get water. How crazy is that? He chooses that humble way as the servant king. And that's an utterly genuine request. He really is thirsty. But he self-empties himself for you and me so that we might approach him. Who are you, what are you scared of? What are you scared of when you pray? He has emptied himself that you, you might understand that he's lowly and gentle of heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Who do you think he is? And he affirms the woman's worth. I love this. She's being asked to help Jesus from her own resources. I can help the Son of God. And she's shocked. A male Jew is talking to her of all people. And then the conversation turns to be about the gift of God. Have you noticed that little phrase, the gift of God? And you might think maybe the gift of God is what he's about to talk about, which is the Holy Spirit, living water. But I think it's before that, actually what he's saying to this Samaritan woman who believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, that's what they were hoping for, that a prophet would come. It's prophesied there that a prophet will come. Uh, and they misunderstand what that means. And so she's thinking, well, who are you? Are you the real Messiah? And she, she's smart. She knows her scriptures. And then Jesus is saying, well, if you knew the gift of God, what he's basically saying to her is the gift of God is not a book. Guess what? The gift of God is a person. And later he will give her an understanding of the other gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit. But here's for you and me today. 
The gift of God to you and to me is Jesus. The best gift of all. The wonder of wonders that the gift that God has given us is his son for us to know him intimately, for us to love him, to worship him, to understand his beauty and his glory, to be so overwhelmed by living for Jesus day by day that my whole life's making sense now. It's not about me. It's about knowing him and walking with him through this world until the day comes when I meet him face to face. And so Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a break, give me a drink, you would have asked him, will you please ask Jesus for a drink today? Please ask him to refresh your weary soul. He would give you living water. This person that she hasn't yet recognised turns to her and offers her living water. He hasn't even got a bucket. <laughs> How can he do that? How can he produce spring water? Of course, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And do you know what? Three chapters later, he stands up at the great feast and he says this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever. He's not interested in your criminal record. He doesn't care if you're in debt. He doesn't care if you feel busted. He doesn't care what state you think you're in. Whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And so he says that to the woman in verse 14. If you drink this, you won't thirst again. The water I give you will be like a spring within you. A spring of living water. And then he, get, he ups the ante. And this is what I love about Jesus. So unpredictable. Again, he's not a tame lion, as we've, many of us have read in the Narnia books. He's far more personal now. So watch out. This now it starts to get scary. Okay, in a wonderful way. Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answers him. She's thinking, I, 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 can, I can cope with this. She's starting to feel her heart beat a bit faster. Um, I, have no I have no husband. And um, Jesus answers her, says, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he who you now have is not your husband. Ouch. I love what the, the way the message has translated this. Uh, sometimes it's fun to read the message. Just let me read you this bit from the message. The woman says, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, go and call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband, said Jesus. <laughs> That's nicely put. He's just brilliant. He just sees through her, but he's kindly. You know, it's kindly. That's nicely put. He knows she's trying to evade him. What, what excuses are you giving at the moment about stuff you've been up to and what I've been up to? Are you just trying to shimmy your way past him at this point in time? That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. <laughs> That's the message translation. And so she's been completely exposed in her private life. It's, she hides 
And then she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Some commentators then like to say that she's trying to deflect the conversation. I think she's more intelligent, smarter than that, because she's expecting the prophet to come in the Samaritan understanding of the Torah. And so that's why Jesus starts to elevate the conversation. To, she is a woman of the scriptures. Yes, perhaps she was trying to evade him, but she's also someone that can really ask some pretty intelligent questions here. And Jesus, that's why he really devotes time and attention to her. What I love about Jesus is he's not odd, if I could say that. Jesus is easy to talk to. He recognises straight, here's a woman of substance. She wants to talk about who are the true worshippers. And that's what I love about him. He's immediately engaging. He was talking about Nicodemus a few nights back. And it was a much more high-flown, complicated discussion. But here, he's into a really best sermon on what true worship's all about. But actually, it's easy. He meets her at her level. He's so able to talk to you where you're at. And he tells her, it's not about mountains. It was Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans thought that the Messiah would come. They actually built a temple there in the 5th century BC. It got demolished in the 2nd century BC. But they had, they had a, 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 a devotion, an adoration, and a worship on the Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And Jesus is having to say to her, look, it's not about mountains anymore. It's about me. It's not about places. It's about a person. It's not even about the temple in Jerusalem. And she's getting... She's getting quality discussion here. This immoral, outcast, Gentile, well, Samaritan woman is getting one of the best understandings of what Jesus is about to do. Isn't he wonderful? He's so approachable. And he's telling her that he's going to, she'll understand later, he's going to die. And three days later, the world will know that he's the true and living king and that the temple in Jerusalem will be obsolete and the woman has been effectively been saying to her, well, look, the well's ours. <laughs> it's not yours. Jacob gave it to us, not you. She's at this level and Jesus is saying, come on, look ahead to what's happening. True worshippers are going to be the ones that the Father is looking for. Notice that Jesus says, the Father is seeking worshippers. And I'm sure you've heard that before, but you know, you gave your worship this morning, but what he really wants is you. He wants you worshipping, of course, because he's so worthy of worship. He's after you. He wants worshippers. He wants people who love him. He wants to respond in love to people who've seen his beauty and say, I'm wasted. And once I've seen Jesus, that's it. I'm a worshipper. I'll bring my worship, but first of all, thank you, Jesus, for prizing me above anything that can come out of my mouth. That's amazing. What dignity you bestow on me. And he stays <clears throat> two more days in Samaria. And, you know, they come, they come out of Samaria to see him. And I, let me come to that in a moment. But let me just say this, that, that he brings, he has a word of knowledge. And I want just to say to you that, that when we're in worship often, I love that Ollie and, Ad, and Ads mentioned this, that they, did you notice that Ads said, you know, if you've got words of knowledge... You know, what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes, you drink of that living water, the God in you, he's going to give you his gifts. And here is Jesus exercising a gift of the Spirit beautifully here. And in his kindness, 
he, you know, he exposes her, but then he stays with her and talks to her. And he must have spoken for quite some time because the disciples have gone into the town and they're not coming back for some time. And he gets from the Holy Spirit an understanding of what this woman's deepest need is. And her deepest need is to be delivered from guilt, is to be delivered from despair, is to be delivered from the sense that I'm always going to be the odd one out. I don't fit in. I'm an outcast. If that's you feeling like that today, let Jesus' words come into your heart. And let us be bold to keep using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let our meetings somehow amongst five, six hundred people on a Sunday always be porous, open to the Holy Spirit across the room. Because the gifts are scattered across the whole of the body of Christ. So when Jesus brings his gifts, he scatters them across. So don't be surprised if your heart thumps a bit faster and you feel God wants me to do something here. It's not just the platform party, if I can call us that. It's you and me, us. And she is so profoundly affected by his insightfulness into her life. He just She can't stop saying, he told me everything I ever did. By the way, Jesus knows everything you ever did. And let me say it again. He's easy to talk to. He's kindly. He's going to save this woman and set her back on the right path. And she's going to go running back into the village unashamed. And although she's been living with another guy, she's free from guilt. She's been set free to understand she's met the true lover of her soul, as we've been singing this morning. I'll just tell you one, st- I've got time just to tell you um, a story of words of knowledge because I, I, I often ask God for words of knowledge at meetings and I, I try and hold back because I want other people to continue to be bold and exercise this gift amongst others. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, words of wisdom. By the way, I think that a word of knowledge which is an insight into someone's life which never will expose them to shame them. So let me just say that. This woman was released. It might have been very personal, but when God brings you words of knowledge to give to the church, it's never to embarrass or shame people. There's always the dignity of the individual. And very often, I think after that, you need wisdom to know how to deal with that insight into someone's life. Perhaps the difference between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom is that the word of knowledge unlocks the circumstances and maybe a word of wisdom is to know what do we do next or how can we bring a scripture to help this or what what wise words can be said to help this person. I remember when um, I was walking, a long time ago, and I was walking through bereavement, and my friend Gough Hope, who came down a few months back to do the All Hands on Deck conference, invited me up to Norwich to work for six months in the church up there. And I looked after a site, and it was about the size of the Seaford Church, and I was there for six months, and I felt, God, just give me loads of fresh um, anointing, because I'm walking in difficulty in my own life, in bereavement, but I want you to use me as a channel of your Holy Spirit more than I've encountered before. And I specifically asked God to give me more boldness in words of knowledge. And there came a time when I, <laughs> when you ask God for that, he said, all right then, big boy, if you think you're hard enough, right? And um, I remember there was one meeting up in Norwich at the site called Mile Cross in the north of Norwich. And um, we were in worship, as is often the case, 
Forgive me if I've told you this story before, but it's worth the telling. And I suddenly got a profound impression of a seashell. And the seashell, I thought, Lord, what's seashells all about? We're a long way from the coast here in the city. And the more I thought about this seashell, the more I saw a little girl walking along the seashore picking up seashells. And then, oh, Lord. And then there was an older person with her. And this older person and the young girl were there was a love between them there was a warmth I felt that warmth in my head it's difficult to explain to you but you some of you will know what I'm talking about here and then I suddenly felt a coldness come over the picture and uh, she lost that other person that was walking with her on the beach and I thought oh this is too specific God why can't you just give me you know someone's got a bad knee all right And I thought, what do I do now? I've been asking for God to help me here and encourage and challenge me. So bravely, I said, okay, here we go. I think there's someone here who has been collecting seashells in their youth, but something really sad has happened, and now this has deeply affected you, and you you haven't quite got over that, and you need now to let yourself be known. This is church of about 100, 150 and you've got to just let yourself be known here if that's you. And I'm thinking, what are the chances of that? At the, back, at the back of the church, a woman pulled out from her necklace a, a, a necklace with a seashell on the end of it. And she said, I used to walk the coast, the beautiful North Norfolk coast, with my grandmother. And my grandmother's now died. And I was living with my grandmother because of my family circumstances. And I deeply grieved the loss of my grandmother. Hard to tell you this story. She said, ever since then, I've suffered from depression. And this little seashell I carry inside my blouse is a reminder that I miss my grandmother so much. I'm thinking, man. So she came forward. And she was weeping. And we prayed for her. And the Holy Spirit came to her to warm her heart and to comfort her and say to her, I was with you when you walk the seashore. I'm with you. Only I can go back into your past and I can heal you in your past. Isn't that beautiful? Why are we not asking for these words? Why are we not asking for these gifts of spirit more? It's not about mountains and temples. It's about knowing a person. It's about knowing the living king. Right, I'm nearly done because we're going to come back to worship But I want to remind you that the temple in Jerusalem is now obsolete. And we're to meet Christ the Messiah, who is by his Holy Spirit everywhere now. And he is here now. And this isn't, remember what I said at the beginning, there is no roof on this building. It's about the power and the life of Jesus in you and me by the work of the Holy Spirit. One last thing, I can't but not say this, that this is a fantastic evangelistic ending to this story. This is the first Christian female preacher. She goes back and she preaches out of the power of what's happened to her. And Jesus says to his disciples, look, the harvest is here. It's interesting, he says, the harvest is white. I've often fancied that's because, because I lived in the Middle East, You know what a dish dasher is, don't you? Those long white robes that are worn to this day everywhere in the Middle East. I'm sure that when when Jesus says to disciples, look, the harvest is white, I like to think everybody's walking around in white, white clothes here, which was true. So in other words, look around you. The harvest is white. 
The harvest is blue, pink, gold, um, mustard color, <laughs> white, um, green. The harvest is white. Look around you. It's all around you. Because of his words, many more became believers. So, yeah, that's right. Because of Jesus' words, that's the town of Samaria. Because of her words, they said to Jesus, stay. We need to talk on. Use your words. And then, wonderfully, it's supernatural all over this. You know, when was the last time Jesus ate? He's not hungry. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that's true for you and me. What's your food? Is to do the will of him who sent you and to finish his work. You ain't done yet. All right? You ain't done yet by any means. You've, you've been called to finish your work. And meanwhile, he'll sustain you. He'll give you food that miraculously is provided for you. He'll bring you living water as you come and drink of him. Come and meet a man who knows everything about you. Amen. Let's do that now, shall we? Shall we meet a man who knows everything about us? The truth is in here. Oh, Father. Come on, let's just be quiet now. Let's have the band back. Oh, Lord. Uh, let, um, let me... I wonder if I can read this bit to you. I've got time. Yeah, I've got time. Okay. This is... Um, I'm not going to find it now because I had my... I had my marker in it and now I've lost it. <laughs> um, it's about being quiet. This is a book called Epiphanies of the Ordinary by Charlie Cleverly. It's about being still before God. I can easily paraphrase it. Often when you come here, I sometimes like to say it's a bit of a juggernaut. It's a very powerful meeting and this is a big company of people. But sometimes you need solitude. Sometimes in this meeting you need to go very quiet. And sometimes you need to be as if it's just you and him in the room. And sometimes you need to go for a long walk on the downs if you can. Or you've got to get away from the crowd. And just like this woman at the well was on her own with Jesus... If I've said anything to you today, you've got to get on your own in solitude with him. Somehow, put away your dark mirror, your phone, and come into his presence. And let him refresh your soul, that you might drink living water. And it's quite difficult sometimes in this, in this room, because the, the, the meeting sweeps over us often, in a lovely way. Don't get me wrong, it's a wonderful meeting. Sometimes you need up close and personal time with him. And we're going to do that now. We've got 10, 15 minutes and we're going to worship again. What I'd like us to do also is to minister to one another today. We're not going to break bread. But we may have words of knowledge. I think I've got one already. There's someone here who's got um, a real ear problem. And the ear is a very delicate, if I can call it an organ or a part of the body. And you've had earache for a while. And because the, you know, your hearing is so important to you, and you may already be suffering from tinnitus, 
and you're worried about your hearing because it's such a delicate part of your body and you feel you're gradually perhaps even going deaf if there's anyone here with ear problems would you just put up your hand if I can see yes well done well done yeah there's one anyone else yes two good wonderful three four come on see I feel the father just wants to touch ears this morning Someone here has had an MRI scan recently. And it's a scan which you think is going to be showing tumours. And you're really worried. Now what I want you to do is not to put your hand up this time. I want you to identify a friend. So in the, in the dignity of the quietness, you just ask your friend to come and pray with you. Ask one of the leaders here. But we want to get to you quietly and pray with you. Is, is there anyone else here who feels God's given them a word of knowledge for this dear company of people? Shall we live on our wits? Live dangerously? I ask you to come to the front. Has anyone got what, somebody here? Paul. Ah, so you've got the microphone there. Can you just, yeah, just give it. Um, it was to do with what Clive's been preaching about. Can you remind me of the, the place that Jesus went to? Sikar. Sikar. I read a thing about that. It was actually a name of quite a strong alcoholic drink. Is that, so it had a reputation for not being a great place. And um, the tradition um, of marriage, it was normally the father. Is that the right? That would, so th this is a woman that's been handed over five times. And I just felt, not that it's representative of marriage, but there's someone here this morning that feels you've been handed over many times Beautiful. in a situation that, um, that, that other people have used you to get what they want and you're now living in a situation where you, you don't feel it's ideal and that you can't do anything about it, that you feel trapped in that situation. Beautiful, beautiful. Give that to Ed. That's it, yeah. yeah. Shall we stand together? Let's just move this out of the way. Okay, if anyone would like to have ministry for touch, for healing, or for what Paul has just shared, or other things which you know, do you know what, I, I just need a touch from God. We're going to move over there this time, because very often one of the things that people say to us is if we come to the front, we can't hear what's being prayed for. And so we're going to move over there, so perhaps if some others can help me from ministry team. But let's move over there. If you need a touch from God and need prayers for healing, or for any other ailment that you say, Lord, I need help today. Let's meet together over there. Meanwhile, shall we meet the man who knows everything about us? Isn't this a beautiful moment? So let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be even more in the room than he was two minutes ago. So come, Holy Spirit, upon this building without a roof. Come down, Holy Spirit, be poured out on our lives. Father, we ask you in your beautiful grace and your mercy, come and meet with us today. These are your lambs, Lord. These are your lambs. Come and meet with your people. We pray, Father, that every single one here will now, in worship, take a deep drink, a fresh drink of living water that will sustain them through all the difficulties of the coming week. That you will know 
that your Saviour knows everything about you. He is not ashamed of you and he loves you with such a passion that he's created this world just for you. Come Holy Spirit as we worship. Amen.